If I had to give myself one piece of advice, well, let me rephrase that. If my self today could give one piece of advice to my former self, um, say in high school or college, I mean, obviously there's a lot of winning lottery numbers, a lot of sports teams a la Back to the Future that I would tell myself about, um, retire early with those gambling winnings. But no, in all seriousness, it's an interesting question because I think the answer is the same in theory, uh, at least in a philosophical sense, that if I had to give my past self one piece of advice, as I just said, whether my high school version, my college version, and dare I say the version of me now um, from some version of me in the future, I would say that that one piece of advice would be to try to be patient. Now, that seems somewhat uh, simple and perhaps even a little superficial, unless you kind of go into the meaning of what that actually means. But I think there's a lot of really good lessons that stem from that idea of of patience and, and patience along with sort of finding out what it is that you want to do, finding out what it is that you have to do, finding out um, sort of what those next steps are along the way to accomplishing whatever those goals might be. Um, And so that's why I wanted to talk about this topic today of how to find motivation, because it comes up quite often um, as a college professor, especially a writing college professor in the humanities. And I think that's a big part of, of what we do as, as teachers. And I certainly, if anybody's listening, who is a grade school teacher, whether elementary or high school, um, you know, this to be true, obviously that being a motivator for your students is huge. Right. Um, and so the role is a little different at the college level perhaps, but I think it's, it's still sort of pivotal. Um, and I think certainly it's something that students crave and they, they seek and they want. And I feel like that vision can sometimes get lost within the larger bureaucracy of how colleges are set up and organized and and function. But it's a role that I I found myself always coming back to, despite the ups and downs and ins and outs of, um, you know, teaching at the college level. So, yeah, this idea of of how to find motivation. I mean, I think this idea of patience, uh, the the reason why that comes to mind was because I've actually fairly recently had some conversations with students where that's sort of something that we've we've talked about you know how to sort of stay on task stay on target stay focused with not just academic work but sort of personal goals as well you know keeping in perspective sort of short-term goals as well as developing long-term goals so you know it's, it's interesting when students talk to me about that because I feel as if I'm you know just kind of working my way through all of that too I always say the joke to uh, friends and family, and I, I, I know friends and family who say it as well, that um, still trying to figure out what I want to be when I grow up, and that's obviously a joke, but only in some ways. It's also kind of true, um, at least you know, for somebody like me who is involved in, in more of the creative arts and always trying new projects, new types of writing, Uh, And new styles of teaching, you know, trying to foster new goals, that sort of stuff. So um, I've really had to sort of wrestle with this idea of um, being patient. And that ties directly into sort of not just finding motivation, but maintaining it, right? You you can sort of see how those those words are somewhat similar in that sense. 
And again, it's an easy thing to say, but I think it's a it's a good thing and a useful thing to tell students if you then can help them talk through sort of whatever their issues are, whatever their questions are, whatever their struggles might be. And just going through it yourself, um, I'm still relatively young as a college level professor, I suppose, but um, you know, it, it's, it's always uh, an ongoing journey in terms of career development and that sort of stuff. So kind of just living through it gives you a bit of perspective. And again, I don't know if I have clear answers for students necessarily when they come to me asking these questions of like, well, you know, how do you essentially maintain perspective and keep your mind focused when there's so much else going on and so many distractions and it seems so far away uh, when you do have goals, let alone when you don't even know what those goals are. And uh, yeah, just living through it. I think uh, sometimes I might say something that's good advice, but I think if you have been honest about that journey for yourself, to yourself, uh, you, you kind of end up whatever you're saying, having some meaning behind it. You know, it's kind of funny. That's something that I've learned about teaching in general, where I, I went in when I first started teaching with very strict um, lesson plans in terms of outlining like, okay, point one or I, Roman numeral I or whatever, and then letters A, B, and C, and then subpoints and almost like a script reading through. And now the classes I've been teaching for a while, I don't even use lesson plans. I mean, I have my syllabus, which is pretty detailed because it gives a week by week and even day by day, just very brief description of what we'll do that day. But I know what exercises are entailed with that and what documents to prepare beforehand and sort of what points I want to hit upon. And it's sort of developed into, dare I say, what I would like to think, I would like to hope is an expertise of sorts. And it it's ironic that, you know, in that way, I don't rely on those kind of daily lesson plan outlines really anymore for the classes I've been teaching for, you know, four or five years now at least, but um, I feel more expert at that work. And in fact, you know, that's something I've talked to with other professors about, and they sort of say the same thing. It, it's it's sort of just an ethos you develop, a, a, an ability that you really foster and refine if you are constantly trying to better, in this case, your craft. I, I do think you can you know, think of teaching as a craft in that sense. And I know other instructors who have been teaching for much longer than I have, who have said similar things about where they've gotten to and how they teach. So that's an example, I think, of how I've been able to sort of just by being patient and, you know, each semester asking myself kind of at the end, right, like, what can I do better? What can I do more? What can I do differently to teach more effectively to more students? You, you kind of just, again, develop your craft and imp improve it from there. And you improve the quality of instruction for your students overall, which is pretty cool. And I, I think that kind of sort of probably could apply to most other, you know, jobs or skills in life. But I mean, who knows? I, I think me coming <laughs> from a point of always, uh, who knows? I don't know what I'm talking about. It, it seems pretty self-deprecating. Uh, I certainly feel as if I suffer from imposter syndrome. And I know many very, what I would say, are much more talented people than I do also say that they suffer from imposter syndrome. For those of you who don't know, it's this idea that you're not qualified or good enough for whatever it is that you do. And oftentimes, it's ironically <laughs> the people who are, in fact, very qualified and credentialed who feel this way, whereas other people who are the other way uh, maybe should feel like they're impostering. 
but they don't so much. So I don't know how much of that is, is confidence versus ego, right? These are all like philosophical self-perspective fine lines. Um, you know, again, I, I think for me, it, it sort of helps. And I think this is why teaching in, in the humanities field, uh, you know, again, in my case in writing it is really kind of cool because I come from a place where I was never the strongest student um, growing up in grade school due to, uh, I, you know, I guess you could say certain health issues that I had throughout grade school. Um, and so I remember very clearly struggling with my, my academics. Um, and actually, you know, I think that's quite useful because it's not as if I was ever an, an absolute terrible student, um, or an absolute perfect student, but I did well enough, right? Like I was perfectly average. Um, it may be obviously, um, a little, a little above average. I don't know why I said obviously. Now that sounds, that sounds a little cocky now that I say that. But I, like, I don't know what my grade point average was in high school. It's probably like an 85 or something. Like it was pretty decent. Um, but it was nothing like many of my friends. I was, uh, you know, I kind of more or less hung out with some of the nerds. So, um, yeah, you would think that that might be higher, but it, you know, whatever. Um, so I, I know what it's like to struggle and to sort of not know your way um, and to have to find those goals and to have to sort of learn patience and to, you know, find motivation when you don't have that grounding to try to figure out uh, where to find it exactly and, of course, how to, how to maintain it. And so that's sort of become a big philosophy of mine as a teacher of writing now at college. And I think it's it's a point that's often overlooked at the college level. I, I think if you were to ask perhaps most people in American society, because that's the society I'll, I live within, so I'll, I'll use that as an example, I suppose. If you were to ask the average American, um, you know, like, what's the point of college education? It's sort of shifted from what a high school education used to be, which was like, well, you graduate high school, you can like get a job, whatever. Now it's like, this is kind of Bernie, part of Bernie Sanders' whole 2020 platform. Well, it's been part of his whole platform for a while that, yeah, you need a college degree to compete in pretty much, um, maybe not any industry, but many, many industries uh, throughout the country. So kind of the, the baseline minimum has, has risen to the college level in terms of job marketing credentials. But I think that's also true of social ability. Um, especially as proliferated by sort of the, the isolation, increasing isolation that we see. Oh boy, I sound, I sound like a Luddite right now. I sound pretty old, but it's true. I mean, there's, I get papers on this all the time from students about the, the growing isolation caused by social media. They're very aware of it um, and, and how it, it affects, you know, teenage depression and uh, suicide and, and all these other, you know, um, psychological uh, social issues uh, and that's kind of interesting that they're so aware of it and they're so interested in it and they write about it. I get these research papers all the time. But in some ways, I feel as if uh, the you know younger generations almost feel helpless to do much about it or to even deal with it. And perhaps that's because they don't remember a life before that. I mean, I like I said, I'm still relatively young in terms of being a college professor, but I remember being a kid and there you know was no cell phones or, or internet, at least not as we know them today. It's not like every kid had a cell phone, uh, certainly. We didn't get our first cell phones until I think high school. Um, so 
And anyways, uh, we, we sort of know a world without all of that, whereas many of these younger generations, that's always been a part of their existence and their reality and their social interactions for better and worse. And again, I don't know how much that exactly ties into this larger topic of motivation and goal setting in general, but I think, you know, again, with so much, so much of this, it's it comes down to, you know, is it correlation or causation? And t- to what degree do these elements affect each other? But I think there's certainly something there. But anyways, um, so so I think, you know, again, students oftentimes, they, they are looking for mentors in different ways. And I, I think it's hard as well to say when you break down, okay, like what is the role of college, uh, you know, college professor and a student's, you know, academic, professional, personal development, you know, it's, it's difficult to say that there's one answer to that because first of all, there's so many different types of colleges. Um, and if you start to break them down, you realize like, well, there are, first of all, there are, there are private schools, there are public schools, and then there are different types of degrees, right? There's two year degrees, four years degrees, mixed degrees, um, there's different types of training programs. So, right, it, it's hard to even say, like, well, if you're asking what is really the role of teachers in, or college professors in students' lives, it first of all depends on what college they're going to. Um, but I think if we take the, the general mold of, okay, four-year bachelor's degrees, uh, I think that's still what maybe most students attend or wind up attending. You know, many maybe start at two-year community colleges, as I did. Um but lots go on to get their degrees at four-year institutions or start there, right? So anyways, um, you know, I think as well, if you look at college dropout rates, I forget the numbers off my top, the top of my head, but it's an alarming number. It's something like, I think, 40-something percent maybe of students who start a four-year degree don't finish it. They drop out. Um, and so that's, you know, sort of a big issue. And I think that's got to have something to do with this idea of, well, you know, is there more that college professors can do in helping students and and sort of helping with retention in that way. And for some professors, you know, again, if we're taking the, the, the normal mold of a four-year university, um, they by their very job description have different duties. So um, one of the schools I teach at, for example, is a big STEM school. For those of you who don't know, that stands for science, technology, engineering, and math. So you know, a lot of science students and there's a lot of science professors and, you know, their job and focus is very much primarily, primarily um, revolving around kind of large scale instruction. So big, big lecture halls, oftentimes, uh, I don't know, probably hundreds of students in some cases, but certainly too many students to develop real personal connections to, which is kind of a shame in some ways, right? Because these are experts, but um, you know, that leads to the other question of how many of them, you know, have the time or motivation themselves to really want to connect with students on individual levels. And I, I think the, you know, the, the former issue there in terms of just the time is sort of the biggest one, right? You know, if you have obviously hundreds of students, you're not going to be able to really get to know many of them, let alone, you know, in, in very much depth. Um, and they do research on top of that. So they're busy with that as well. Um, you know, doing whatever it is that they do in terms of research for the university or, or a scholar, you know, different types of scholarly work, whatever that may be. And this is, you know, certainly true in other departments too. You know, there's all sorts of, uh, you know, even in the humanities, 
you know, pro, uh, programs or departments that have these big classes and they have these instructors doing all sorts of uh, research and other program duties. And, you know, I think that's actually where the humanities and particularly English and writing programs in general have, uh, you know, real ability and real sort of opportunity to help out students if, and this is a question uh, <laughs> that I'm all too familiar with in terms of trying to convince administration of the value of this function, is how do you make it clear to administration that this is, in fact, a worthwhile competency that in, uh, college professors and, and um, uh, or college professors can uh, um, provide to students, right? You know, this idea of... Um, you know, working with them, collaborating with them. And again, you know, other professors in other departments do this as well. You know, students have all sorts of smaller lab classes where they um, work on projects, you know, really cool projects um, with different sorts of instructors. But I, I think, again, there's a real opportunity there within uh, humanities programs, particularly from my perspective, because I'm involved in it, um, in English and, and writing programs uh, and departments, which we might have to do another episode on. I think that's an episode for another day, distinguishing what is the difference between a writing and an English program, because if you're not familiar with that difference, um, there's very subtle differences as well as larger differences. Um, I actually teach in a writing program as opposed to an English department. So it's, you know, again, a little bit different, but we'll save that for another time. Um, but the point being that I think, you know, if that purpose of, okay, we can work with students to help them uh, organize their goals and achieve their goals, you know, these are all questions or, or ideas that come up in a lot of the writing that we do in our writing classes for various reasons. You know, I can't tell you how many students come back to me, um, you know, they, they either stop by my office or they email me, and they talk about how valuable even my introductory writing class is, uh, my writing 102 class. I often use, I, I always use all sorts of examples of how these skills that we cover in my classes, you know, really transcend that one class. And it, you know, these writing skills help students in all sorts of further personal, academic, professional endeavors, whether it's writing cover letters for applying to jobs or applying to grad schools, um, or just working out their thoughts. You know, that's something that I used to do a lot of in my introductory writing classes. We used to start with personal narrative writing. Um, I don't do that so much anymore, even though I would like the time to do it. Um, and you know, in fact, our writing program at one of the schools I teach does have, does offer a, um, a personal narrative, um, writing class, uh, to help students prepare personal statements for these higher academic and professional programs. But, you know, as well, um, it's personal essay class, actually, I think, um, I think just this idea of self-reflection and finding your own goals and motivations is a big part of that type of writing. So I always really loved to do that. And that was always very transformative writing for many of these students. And I know some of them, you know, they would go on to end up just journaling or, or having diaries or starting blogs to really help work through their thoughts and their perspectives on why they think what they think, why they feel what they feel, and what why they want what they want. And I always tell students at various points that it's okay not to know what you want or not to have a plan as long as you're aware that that's where you're at and sort of, you know, where you want to move from moving forward. Like it's okay not to 
always have that, you know, lofty goal in mind. I mean, some students do. They know going into college, all right, I want to be this type of doctor, and they do it. But I would say many more might think that, and as they start taking these other courses, uh, reality can sometimes come crashing in, and, and this is true with various professions, and they realize, well, oh, geez, I, you know, this isn't quite for me for whatever reasons. What do I do, right? Especially when there's so much pressure within some of these students' families, um, with their peers, competing with their peers. Um, I know that can be a big source of stress for them. So working through all of that, and here we go. I'm going to do it. I'm going to say it. I'm going to come back to it. Finding the motivation uh, to, to work through that and figure all that out, I think, is a, is a big part of what uh, we can do in writing classes. And I, I think, you know, again, I don't know, maybe I should send this to my administration. <laughs> Uh, yeah, like they would listen. Um, but I, I think, you know, there's an awareness there, at least to some extent, because students are interested in these courses. I mean, these, these courses, I, at least for my understanding, um, not just the introductory writing courses, but these higher level writing courses, as I was saying, like uh, personal essay classes do, as far as I know, have pretty strong enrollments. Um, and I think that's for obviously very practical reasons, like I said, in terms of what types of uh, professional skills they give these students. But, um, you know, also just, uh, you know, finding yourself and finding your way. I mean, these are, you know, these are lessons that you, to some extent, you. this is what writing can, can allow you to do. You know, I had a really interesting experience a few years ago where uh, a student came to me and she was having like uh, the, the, the exact types of issues I was just saying about how her family wanted her to steady to become a, I forget what it was, a doctor or something. And she was just not having it. Like she was not enjoying the steady. Um, she was not, you know, getting the grades that she wanted or needed and kind of having a crisis of, um, what would you call that? Not crisis of conscience, but a crisis of uh, reality, I guess, versus the expectations that were being put on her. And so I would talk to her or, you know, more so, like I said earlier, just let her talk through all of this. And, you know, I tell many students as we talk, um, I, I oftentimes will refer them to other school services, um, especially counseling services, um, as well as academic advising services, because there are entire departments to work with students further on this. And uh, she said something very interesting. She said, well, I've been to all of those, but I'd rather talk to you. Um, and I thought that was really interesting. And that's uh, by no means to criticize or, or throw those other departments under the bus, because I know for a fact students of mine who, who often use those services and get great benefit out of them. Um, but I, I thought that was just really interesting because we had worked together on her personal narrative writing and, and sort of discussing that. It's sort of... Uh, you know, led into these other, you know, questions and topics of conversation that, you know, were just helpful, I think, for her to uh, talk out loud about, um, you know, with me as well as her, her advisors, too. So, um, yeah, I, I think there's certainly a, a place for that in terms of, you know, just letting students, you know, sort of connect with somebody who is interested in the stories that they have and helping them find what it is that they want in terms of their you know, again, uh, personal, professional, academic, you know, desires and goals and that sort of thing. And writing can really do that. You know, there's a lot to this idea of letting writing sort of help reveal 
what you know and don't know. I mean, this is something that ironically we talk about with analysis papers too, as well as persuasive papers, right? It's like, well, if you're going to try to persuade an audience, you need to sort of step outside of your own perspective and ask, well, what is it that they know or don't know? Um, and that obviously also includes asking, what do I know or, or don't know? And how do I know that they know or don't know certain things, right? So it becomes a very sort of metacognitive process of really asking like, all right, what's going on with perspective here? Um, as well as why I think what I think. And I think that's, you know, uh, wildly helpful to students. And, uh, and, you know, I can't tell you how many how many students come back to me in various capacities to, to, to talk about how much that that helps with them. I mean, I, I have one alumni in particular, and he always tells me whenever I talk to him, um, he's in law school now, and he always talks about how he loved my class that he took with me because he's, I, I, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but he, he always refers to this idea, I'm paraphrasing, of you know how the work that we do in writing and analysis and, and asking persp- about perspective helps, helped him to uh, think about how he thinks. And, and again, sort of these other ideas that I was mentioning about why we think what we think um, and, and where that will lead us as well. So I think that's, that's really interesting, and I, I think it's very valuable. So it all leads to a larger question of, like, how does this become more visible for writing instructors and humanities programs, which are always, I feel, as if, <laughs> at least in my limited experience teaching, Uh, and it's very true, are constantly, more or less, at least if not on the chopping block, on the sort of, uh, you know, always on the periphery of it, right? Like always, it feels like your program's on the border of like, ah, things might get cut, right? Like uh, we're going to increase class size, right? Which to administrators doesn't seem like a big deal, but when you're dealing with razor within margins as a professor in terms of how much time you can spend with each student, you know, I love the, my favorite part of teaching is doing individual conferences with students, is meeting with them one-on-one. That's a, an episode I really want to do moving forward, is talking about my whole grading system, which is based upon rather than you giving me a paper to grade, uh, you bring me your paper, and we sit down and we, re- we read through it and we discuss it. Now, that actually ironically takes more time than if you just submit me a paper, but it's so much more personalized and effective in terms of the attention that you can give to a student and specifically you know, where they're at in terms of their writing development and, you know, their, their thought development too. And, um, you know, sort of, uh, again, being effective in that way. And it helps, that certainly helps them to be more, more motivated because they see that you're invested and interested in their work. So I think if that can be emphasized um, to students as well as administrators, so really everybody in academics at all levels, you know, that can be a huge function of college professors, you know, certainly at least in, in, in my particular field of, of writing, I think that's super useful. And, you know, I'd be really interested what other humanities professors think about this, you know, whether in English departments or history departments, um, you know, other departments where there is a fair amount of writing probably as well. You know, I know I, I work as a tutor as well at a, at a writing center and we get primarily, English and writing papers, but we also get psychology papers and history papers and those sorts of things. Um, and those are mostly students, obviously, just bringing us their papers. They're not working necessarily one-on-one with their instructors. But I think, um, you know, again, as I was saying, that type of work takes time. 
but it's more effective. It, it sort of helps students find their motivation, I think. Um, but the case needs to be made to administrators to sort of understand the value of that work because if there's one thing I've learned about teaching. It's the same lesson that I learned about learning back in high school, which was I am much better off being taught to be interested in a subject or a topic than to just be told information. If I can become motivated to want to learn more, the teacher's done a, a much better job. And well, I think they've done their job and they've done it in a much better way than, um, you know, otherwise if I was just told facts that go in one ear, right out the other. Obviously in certain cases, you know, there's certain types of information where that's how it's just taught. And perhaps that is the best way to learn. But, um, you know, at least from my perspective and with the work that we do, I find that that's, you know, certainly the most effective way to sort of look at it and think about it. So all of that is a very long-winded way of saying, I don't know how to find motivation. <laughs> As I would tell my, um, how old would I be? My 22-year-old self 10 years ago, I would say if my 22-year-old self said, hey, like, what's up 10 years you later, what should I do? Uh, I would say, well, here are the winning numbers. However, be patient, just keep at it, you know, stressing about things that you don't know um, will not make them come necessarily any quicker or easier, which, uh, you know, that I don't even tell people because that seems so superficial, right? It's like easy to say, oh, just don't worry about it. Oh, just don't feel anxiety, right? Um, so it's not what I'm saying when I, or that's not what I mean when I say that, but I'm just sort of saying is try to have the perspective that whether or not you know where it is you're working towards, obviously you want to get to that point, um, but you want to embrace that process and really assess that process at each step. And, you know, think of it in that way, like small steps are big accomplishments, it turns out. Um, and I'm sure, uh, geez, 40-year-old version of me would come back and tell 30-year-old version of me exactly that, right? Um Man, yeah, that will be interesting. We'll see. Um, you know, because it, it's hard to lose. Uh, I'm sorry, it's easy to lose that perspective, right? Like you, you think back ten years ago, and you realize, like, oh wow, I've done so much yet, yet so little in some ways. And that's exactly it, right? Most people, like, your life has changed a lot, but some things haven't changed at all, right? Um, and all of this, you know, it rarely do big changes happen overnight. They build up over time. Um, so you should take, I think, pride and success in these small steps, right? Like it's it's all part of a process getting to wherever it is you're going to go. Um, but you should appreciate those steps along the way. Because um, if you just sort of have this far off sort of foggy goal in the distance, you can very easily lose your way through that fog, I think. So I don't know. I guess that's my advice for finding motivation, hopefully, and trying to keep it. Um, but yeah, just coming back to what I said earlier, I, I do think that's a, a big part of what, um, writing professors can do, or at least what I try to do, um, for or whatever that's worth, but we'll see how I can convince administration of that moving forward. Um, hopefully I'll find a way to motivate them <laughs> to let me continue doing what, what it is I do, uh, cause I know it helps students. So, um, anyways, I would love to hear what anybody else has to think. Like I said, especially if you teach, whether in writing in English programs or departments or other departments, I'd be particularly interested in that, as well as high school teachers. I, I have a bunch of high school teacher friends out there who I'll probably send this to. Um, so if you have thoughts or ideas on this 
idea of the role of educators as motivators for their students because um, there's all sorts of other challenges at the grade school level. I know for sure I've worked in high schools before, so I, w- I would love to hear what you think about that too. So please, you can uh, comment either on our main page, I think, if you sign in. That's uh, professorlabs.podbean.com. Um, on our YouTube as well, you can just type in Professor Labs Podcast, um, or you can tweet at us. Uh, we'll post this on Twitter. Just send us a tweet, and our Twitter handle is at Joe T Labs. So, yeah, let us know what you think. Um, let us know if you agree, disagree. Um, I probably got some things wrong. Uh, I usually do. As I tell my students, I am sadly not infallible, but hey, it wouldn't be very interesting if I were. And it gives me motivation to try to do better. So, uh, we'll see. Um, yeah, so thanks so much for listening. Um, and please, until then, keep patient. And as always, keep learning. All right. Thanks again. See you next time.